First off, um, a recent development is that as of this morning, it was just announced that Delete Zeke will be delivering their first ever live performance in Brooklyn as a part of Anamanaguchi's upcoming Scott Pilgrim vs. the World Tour. One hell of a sentence, but that brings up the question um, that in the past year, uh, you've made a bit of a transition um, from roles of journalism, like curatorship and research into like roles of artist management. Uh, so I'm wondering, like, how have you found like navigating that realm of like more active engagement and involvement with individual artists? To be honest with you, I, I feel like I've always been engaging with individual artists with all of my work, whether, you know, whether it's like writing articles or directly managing these people. I've always been very much connected to the artists. Like, I, I feel like one thing I was trying to do, especially in my early journalism-centric work uh, in my writing career, um, even in like the blogging days um, with UBC, uh, was I, I really emphasized trying to like learn a lot about what is happening in this, you know, the scene that was that was coming up at the time. And in that, I didn't want to just be an outside observer. And I never really was, which is the cool part about it. And no one in UBC really was. Um, I never wanted to be an outside observer. I always wanted to learn about people. I wanted to learn what was going on. Because if I was just talking about the music, to be honest with you, like, I don't really mean this in like a bad way, but... Wouldn't be a lot to talk about, aside from like the music just being good, because of course it's good, I'm not going to talk about it if it's not good. The, the, the cool thing about the people that I was covering at the time, there was a certain level of like personality and, and uh, intimacy when it comes to the music that they were making. Um, and I think that, had, that it had a lot to do with the context of time that was being made, you know, the pandemic um, setting in and their youth. Uh, is a huge part in their vulnerability and in the way, you know, there's just a whole bunch of, of aspects and, and different dynamics that went into the scene that made it so different than even other people I was covering for places like UBC. Like, it was a lot different covering early, let's say, like, Quinn stuff than, I don't know, Bones or something, you know? It's like, you know, all due respect, uh, but but there there's such a difference, you know? You know, going back to the question, like, comparing those two eras of, of my life, my career, um, I, I don't think I've ever left that. I, I think I think I've always been and you can ask like the artists in the scene, I, I feel like we all kind of share the same thing. It's like we're all friends and, and we all we all are working on a one on one basis as a community and I think that's uh so yeah, I don't think anything's really ever changed. But I guess being a manager is a little bit different. Yeah. Right. I mean that's a fair point. I feel like beyond just it being a lot more of like a community oriented, like almost like sort of family by being somebody like you covering the scene versus somebody like maybe an external publication coming in and covering it. Um, it also just makes for like, in my opinion, just more engaging coverage. Like for someone that like Niz to talk, who's like an active engaged, like in an active participant, like talking with the community or somebody like you or even somebody like me or something like that. It makes for a lot more interesting of a conversation than like somebody coming in and just writing an article about things like you said 100 percent. yeah i mean you and you and niz are, are really good examples of new i, I don't want to call it like because there's still a bunch of really great journalism coming out even about the scene that is very much detached from the scene itself mm -hmm. but with that being said there's this whole other avenue that you can take now you know there's this whole um, and you could take it even before I started doing this stuff, but I just, I feel like what the pandemic did to make us even more connected, um, now you have this new avenue of journalism where, where it is person, uh, you know, very personable and very intimate when it comes to being detailed about who you're covering and, and being transparent about it. You know, like you, just the same as I was, you and Niz, you guys aren't like sugarcoating anything. You're like, it's very obvious that we're all friends, you know, but that doesn't take away from anything. Um, I think it only makes things stronger as long as you're being honest and transparent about it. So, Right. And then that brings up the conversation with everybody. Basically, like the roots of something like Dead Air kind of being laid from like the beginning. I'm wondering, like, what decided you or what made you like make the decision to sort of formalize that relationship and form Dead Air back with Jesse in, uh, back in November? This is a fun story to tell because I've told it to some people. Um, I guess the world can know now. So this summer... Um, fun bill fact, not fun bill fact. Um, I was very sick and it was like an off and on thing. I was just like, what is going on? You know? Um, so not to get into the details of what exactly it was. Um, let's just say like one afternoon I was laying down on my couch. I, I had like meant to go out and do something, but then I just like felt like the sickness like grasped me and I was like, I'm going to lay down instead. Um, and so I laid down and I was like, just like sitting there and just so weak. And I was like, oh, this just not a good day. And then 
lo and behold, my good friend Jesse calls me. And and I'm like, oh, pleasant surprise from the one and only Jesse Toganelli. And I was like, okay. Um, so I picked up the phone and Jesse was like, Bill, I have an idea. And I'm like, what could possibly be Jesse's idea right now? Um, and, and Jesse was like, I want to start some sort of label with you um, based around people in the scene that are, you know, very like skeptical about moving on to major labels, but deserve um, a sort of infrastructure and structure in general um, to, to navigate the, the, the bigger music industry that isn't just Discord and um, uh, SoundCloud and, and even, you know, streaming services that, you know, if like through DistroKid, for example, you know, and, and all this stuff, and be an independent artist. Like, there's, there's nothing wrong with being, you know, independent, obviously, but like, formulating or, or forming a, a, a label that is also independent that houses a certain amount of artists that are like a little bit hesitant to make that leap already into the music industry that hadn't been done in the scene and so that's what jesse pretty much communicated to me and that's a sentiment that i very much aligned with like obviously if i didn't i wouldn't have started dead air with jesse but i, I don't want to say i was on my deathbed but i certainly was <laughs> feeling like death i know i have like a gravelly voice but you could just imagine like me barely being able to talk be like yes jesse i will start the label with you that conversation lasted like an hour um and and we took a few more calls we kind of formulated the roster and the thing about jesse is like you know he's I rate your music person like he's <laughs> he got he got picked up by ubc i think early 2021 late 2020 something like that um and and we uh that's how we became connected and friends burn the the founder of ubc picked jesse up i i don't even remember how how burn found jesse maybe it was through dismiss yourself perhaps um i i don't really remember but that's you know jesse who also works with dismiss yourself we became friends but jesse really wasn't in the scene at all like uh, i was kind of one of the people that had to communicate a lot of the different um dynamics of the scene. I still do this to this day. Like, I still, like, tell Jesse, like, here's how things happen, you know? Like, anyways, like, so I was responsible with, like, reaching out to the to the four original artists that we... I'm sorry, three original artists that we had on on the label. Um, and, and, um... And, yeah, so I reached out to Jane Delitzik. I reached out to Days, And I reached out to Kara, Dolly. Um, and we just... We were like, let's do it. And we launched it with Frailty. So, I was like... Jesse, like, we need to bring on Delitzik because I have this little album that I've been listening to all summer called Frailty um, <laughs> as a private link, and and I showed it to Jesse, and Jesse's like, this is, like, peak music, and I'm like, that's correct. So what, what, a, what, what better way to launch Dead Air with the greatest album of all time, at least, of 2021? It felt really, really fitting. I, I remember I woke up the day of, like, Frailty's release, and that had been hyped up for, like, I think a month at that point, and we're all like, okay, Frailty's dropping tonight, and I checked Twitter, and it's like, oh, an entire record label just launched. It came out of nowhere, but at the same time, it felt like a really, really fitting progression. I think I said on Twitter, like, on a night full of amazing incredible announcements this has somehow managed to be one of the most exciting it's like in our conversation that we're having right now i'm sure this will come up even more times not to you know break the fourth wall but <laughs> like jesse and i both are just insanely busy people like we we have a bunch of other things going on and the making of dead air putting everything together with like burn who did some of the frailty merch yams who did pretty much all of our graphic work and 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 uh sticky from dismiss yourself doing a lot of the frailty um physicals putting that all together and like launching this was like on my priority list but it was like it was in the sea of a million other things that were going on at the time especially in november when like the semester was really kicking up with school and uh, like obviously i have a bunch of other jobs research soundcloud you know all that stuff and just to see like the extremely positive reception i mean I could I, I get emotional just talking about it because it it's it's literally like a dream come true and it's just one of those things that kind of happened out of happenstance you know I'm just like here I am being sick as hell and like Jesse calls me and it's like here's something that we can do and I'm like I like doing things so let's do it whether it be like with like get refreshed or the digital playlist um you're basically you're managing artists that you otherwise cover in other avenues and you have responsibilities to sort of take an objective approach to those things. So I'm wondering, like, I'm sure detractors detractors of yours could say that's like potentially like preferential treatment or maybe even like a conflict of interest. So I'm wondering, has that like conversation of your responsibilities to other publications, other things ever been raised between you and Jesse? I actually raised that that to Jesse. Like that's that's something that's a fear that I have because um 
It's a fear I've kind of gotten over, but it was something I was very transparent with Jesse about. If you want to talk about deep lore, deep iceberg content right now, um, like, I literally was like, Jesse, I don't even know if I want to be a co-founder, like, like in public, you know? I was very much like, if people... Because I'm not... I can't just quit my stuff with SoundCloud. I can't just quit, you know, doing the stuff that I that I am I'm already committed to and, and make a living off of, you know? With that being said, I don't want my promotion of Quinn or of Jane or of any of the artists on the label to seem, you know, I don't want to be a person, I don't want to be an industry gardener, I don't want to be planting the industry plants, you know, um, so, so I was very straight up with Jesse, I was like, look, like, if we want to launch this, maybe I should just do everything I'm, I'm gonna do, but we don't have to include my name in it, like, just, you, it, this can be your thing, I'll help just as much as I was going to, regardless, um, and then we had more conversations about it, and I was just like, you know what, like, what like the the haters right they're just gonna they're gonna say whatever people have accused me of having biases all the time you know or it's it's one of the, the biggest criticisms that people have of me like i i guess any curator would, would get this uh sort of criticisms hurled towards them about like you know gatekeeping or or whatever it may be I try not to. I I, I I don't think I do personally. You know. I think the I think the overwhelming majority of people would agree that you don't. But yeah. But enough about my haters. Uh, I, I I literally like it, it did bother me for a little bit. I'm not gonna lie. I think any you know criticism like that bothers anybody. But after a while, I'm just like, it doesn't matter what I do. I could like put eight million different artists in like a hundred song playlist somehow. I could be like Jesus and do that. I don't know how that <laughs> even be possible, and I'd still get shit for it you know so it's like back on this whole thing about you know bias towards dead air artists like i'm sorry that they are very prominent artists in the scene and also i have i'm covering them just as much now that dead air started as i did before they they honestly even less now because i don't write as many articles or anything like that i playlist them all the time but i'm i'm still doing stuff normally i just happen to be happening uh you know helping these people behind the scenes and, and and to be honest with you to be totally transparent about stuff like i still help many other artists behind the scenes as well that aren't on dead air like like not you know in a very like a label way or like financially but um i'm very much this person I'm, I'm always trying to help people like that's my job it's literally what i'm on this earth to do is help people so um and then now that you know bill the manager uh from a managerial standpoint what do you think are some of the biggest mistakes you see newer artists making when they're just starting out kind of assuming that things will go the way of, of another artist for example you know like they're I, I say this in practically every interview that i do but this whole community and this whole scene is very much the wild wild west in a lot of ways you know hindsight is 2020 and and we like to look back on things with rose tinted glasses or even just like you know nostalgia blinders and be like oh man i remember when such and such had this amount of followers and now they have this amount of followers but what you don't say is like or what you don't see what you don't mention what nobody nobody ever mentions is like all of these artists had a mill you know there's the beginning there's the end or there's the current and then there's the part that you know exists in between that um Everyone has to go down that path, no matter how long or short it is. It's better to focus on what to do in the current moment rather than what you're going to do tomorrow, if that's making any sense, you know? Um, always, always keeping up your inspiration, always, always knowing that with enough passion and with enough dedication to your craft, you will go places. It just happens at a different time for everybody, you know? And it's just, it's this very, it's, you know, patience is a virtue, um... But patience is also the only way that you're ever going to make it in, in music. So, um, or it, it doesn't even have to be a musician. Like, I, I've had to have a lot of patience. Other people have had, a lot of, had to have a lot of patience. It builds character. And, and it, builds, uh, it, it builds maturity, I think, in a lot of ways. So for young artists, like, that's, you're going to learn that one way or another. So you might as well start learning now. And then, uh, of course, before we get to the point where you'd be managing artists, curating playlists, et cetera, et cetera, you'd hit the ground running as a journalist at UVC, Private Suite Magazine, and a handful of others. So I'm wondering, like, how do you look back on your earlier work from when you were just starting out writing? Oh, geez. Well, <laughs> I, uh, I look back and think about how fun it used to be just to put words down on a page and not have to think about them when mm -hmm. it came to or or not i i don't mean it like that you know like i i i thought about what i you know i'm like meticulous with my editing sometimes but um 
all the time. I should not say sometimes. If you want to talk about now being a wild, wild west back then, it was just like, what's going to happen next? Who knows? Completely uncharted territory. Yeah, it was absolutely. And that was the fun part about it. It was like the, the future was always this big, you know, thing that nobody really knew what it was going to look like. Like, is this artist going to be the next face or is this one going to be the next, you know, like, and especially writing for UBC and doing all and, and being, you know, managing editor and, and editor in chief. And we were very much tuned into what was happening now, but also kind of like keeping our eyes on what's possible tomorrow, you know, what's possible the next day. Let's keep this going. Let's keep cultivating this community because if there was one thing that we always wanted to do and what I always wanted to do in my prior writing was I wanted to live in the moment, but I also wanted to make sure that this, this, the, everything was like everlasting in terms of nuance because I knew we were doing things differently, you know? And I knew that as long as we kept doing things differently, amazing things would happen. And they did. They, they even after UBC ended, they, they kept happening. And, and that's because of UBC. That's because of what we were able to do. So to go back to the question, like, you know, what do I, how do I look back on that kind of stuff? I, I, I look back as we're evolving by living day by day. We're living every single, you know, I, I, I woke up every single day without a care in the world saying like, I'm going to write about this or a new song came out. I'm going to write about that. And it's going to make some sort of impact no matter what, no matter how big or how small it is going to do something. And as those days piled up from 2019 to 2021 with UBC, it all amounted to where we are now. So, you know, if, if there's any lesson to be learned with this kind of stuff is like, if you're a creative, if you're a musician, if you're a writer, whatever it may be, never take a current moment for granted because every single thing you do, if you do it consistently, builds up to something. And it builds up to beautiful things that you never would have imagined. Like, I would have never imagined Dead Air. I would have never imagined having the role I do at SoundCloud. I would have I've never imagined any of this stuff. But I wouldn't be here without that consistent day-to-day -day pouring out of content. Um, and I did it out of a place of love. And, and again, it was not, it's not this thing where I was like, okay, I have to wake up and I have to do this, 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 and this, this, this. <laughs> that's me now. But um, that, that's me now. But, but back then it was like, I'm going to, I don't know what I'm going to do today, but whatever it's going to, whatever I'm going to do, it's going to be amazing. You know, it, it all builds up. So just never lose sight of that. I'm familiar with it in the realm of journalism, but I'm sure it's something that like uh, is prevalent in any creative realm. Just a constant desire, like that constant dichotomy between wanting to be relevant in the moment, but wanting what you're making to be timeless. And it's like a constant thing that I'm struggling to hit, like even with like questions and interviews and stuff like that. I'm wondering like, OK, like even like in this one, I'm like, OK, I should ask about, you know, Zeke performing for the first live. That's for the first time. That's relevant to what we're doing now but then i you know questions that are more spanning to larger things that are going to be relevant in a year from now when they have much more performances under their belt or ugh, god that's a really really good way of putting it I, I i agree with that a ton similarly i feel like uh like that's i feel like this is also the case in a lot of creative applications but especially in the realm of music journalism uh when you're like just learning how to like navigate those like social environments i feel like there are a lot of opportunities for you to like embarrass yourself or kind of make an ass out of yourself so i'm wondering are there any stories or interactions you remember from when you were just starting out that make you cringe in retrospect oh my god um because I, I have a couple off the top of my head this will be a vulnerable moment for both of us oh no i just have to think about them because i put out many words on the internet per day you know in the form of social media whether it's twitter unfortunately whatever it may be or texting or you know discord whatever you know i, I am constantly on the internet it's my thing um, I promise I touch grass and in doing that and always have to be, I, I have a constant, you know, necessary incentive every single day where it's like, I have to be creative. I have to be thinking of new things or new ways to put things. And with that comes, mis everybody makes mistakes, you know, everybody fucks up. Um, and I have done that a, a fair amount of times where I have like tweeted something and it's like spelled wrong or something like that. You know, sometimes you make mistakes and sometimes those mistakes are very embarrassing. <laughs> Case in point. When I'm just having like a really stressful day, you know, and I'm like, damn, you know, this new Camo song is fire and I'm going to promote it on SoundCloud. So I go to my way of tweeting and, it, you know, college student, 21 years old, cannot spell the word lonely. <laughs> because let me tell you something, Noah, it doesn't get lonely. It gets lonely. And that is what still exists on the sound. I told them not to delete it because I was like, look, it's lore. Now. It's lore. Like, it literally gets loney. That's just the most recent example, I think. I hope. 
Um, <laughs> You've no, none of the mother flew under flew under the radar for you, yeah. Oh, I'm sure it happens all the time. And people don't even notice, which is the best part about it. It's a brief moment of like embarrassment, but it's at the same time, it's like you know. What do you, I mean, what are you going to argue with me? Like, are you going to literally think like, oh, I have to be Jesus all the time? Like, I'm sorry, I, I, I fuck up sometimes, you know? It's worse when it happens in like school papers and stuff. And I'm like, I don't know why I used the wrong, I just today, actually, I was writing, uh, in um i was doing peer review for for one of my research papers and um i used the wrong it's and i was reading it out loud and i was like i cringed out loud i i literally was like this is awful why did i use the wrong it's and people were like keep reading and i was like i'm sorry i'm just acknowledging my mistakes if if anybody in the comments of this video have an embarrassing bill moment that i don't know was embarrassing please comment it down below because um i'd like to know how i'm embarrassing myself even though i don't think i am but please enlighten me please enlighten me now what 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 how have you embarrassed yourself right i mean also same goes for anybody watching the video if anybody has an embarrassing noah moment that i'm not recalling right now please drop it in the comments but um and like comment and subscribe yeah of course right backlight originally started as a music section of a publication that originally didn't have a now defunct publication that didn't have a music um like any sort of music coverage and i was brought on to cover music and they decided that they wanted to highlight aspects of like the of like online music in general um so i was brought on and me being completely new to this i decided the first person i was going to interview would be midwest which was a horrible idea i love edgar but i would have like considering how terrified i was in that interview after I'd gotten four others under my belt, I know I would have been, and also it was set to be in person. So I know I would have, I would have been shitting my pants the entire time, but basically I was like, okay, I'm going to interview Midwest. And I sent an email to, um, Midwest's manager. I described because one of the first projects that I did as that met with that magazine prior to the Midwest interview was a hive mind documentary, which I need to get on still, um, the, a documentary about the hive mind guys. So I explained to, Midwest's manager in like a like a four or five paragraph just long ass email explaining okay so the hive mind guys I don't know if you've heard them this is what they do and I explained it like hive mind has exploded in popularity since but hive mind at the time was like they, they know who hive mind is like this this manager who works at geffen records understands what hive mind is and then I learned later is later that week the Hivemind guys flew out to LA to shoot the music video for one of Midwest for a song that Midwest was featured on, um, Atachi by White Rose Moxie featuring Midwest. And I I'm just imagining him reading this lengthy email that like assumes he doesn't know what Hivemind is, this studio that one of his artists is working with later that week. And I'm just like cringing so hard because like I should have known at the time. Yeah, he knows what Midwest. He knows what Hivemind is. So I don't. I don't know. I understand your fear though, because I. I don't want to. I don't want to ever sound like overconfident and also trying to overexplain things and be misunderstood because of that. So I get what you're saying, but I promise you that it's all good. Just you know, just give a brief like, "Hey, Hivemind, you may know them. If not, they're cool people. I love. I love Dickman. You know." <laughs> On the topic of Midwest, I understand that Midwest actually started as a journalist at UBC, so I'm wondering if you could go run us through that like layer of the iceberg. This is deep lore, yes. Um, deep UBC lore. Uh, well, he didn't... Okay, so he didn't start as a journalist. He just, like... The way UBC was running back in the day was, like, anyone could write if they wanted to. Like, you know, it could be this thing where if you were an artist in the scene and you wanted to write about your friend or a song that you like, then go, go crazy, you know? Um, so I, I think Edgar was doing that for a little bit, like, cause we were just all in the same scene. You know, we all knew each other back then. This was like 2019. Like this is literally like, this didn't even happen in 2020. I don't think. Yeah. So Edgar was one of those people. Chach was a writer for UVC. Um, I'm sure there's many other artists that I'm not remembering off the top of my head. Cause I can't remember what happened yesterday, let alone in 2019. But a year later, Edgar's like, Hey, like, can you write my college application for me? And I'm like, I, I, if you pay me, you know, so just kidding. I, I didn't actually ask him to pay me. I was going to do it and then he did it himself. You know, I can't, okay. I was just about to say who I actually did that for. There are other people in the scene that I, that I have done this for, um, especially in like 2020. And I, and, uh, the one person I, I want to mention, it would just be hilarious if I mentioned it, but I'm not going to because I'm, they're still in high school and I don't want to get in trouble because I know that's illegal. So I did this, but you don't know who it was for, so you cannot put me in jail. Um, and I just don't want to out the other person. Right. We'll do, we'll, we'll do it in the follow-up in five years. You know, where are they now? Actually not bill edition. Yeah. True. Yes. Oh my God. If, if anyone wants to know, just, just DM me. Um, 
Just kidding, don't DM me. I get way too many a day. But. <laughs> and then uh, with titles like a creative director or, or editor-in-chief, I feel like a lot of people understand that those are indeed like important roles, but don't necessarily understand what those jobs entail. So I'm wondering, like, what are your, some of the most common misconceptions about your jobs that uh, you've run into over the years? With editor-in-chief, it was a little bit more straightforward because I think people just understood that I was the head writer at UVC forever um, and the head editor. So like basically whenever I brought writers on for UVC, I'd just be like, hey, I'm the editor-in-chief. I'm going to edit your articles. That's that's sent, like send tweet. That's it. Creative director is a little bit different because that encompasses so much and so little at the same time. Mm-hmm. It, depending on what you're what you're doing as a, as a creative director for SoundCloud, I do too many things. So, <laughs> uh, like you know, it encompasses curation, social media management, creative direction as a just by itself creative direction with with the platform um a whole bunch of other stuff something i've struggled with a ton both on like backlight but also like creative projects like short films and whatnot is feeling like comfortable enough to delegate responsibility to other people on like group projects and whatnot so i'm wondering like have you ever struggled with that at any point and and if so how did you like push past it like group projects just like or group projects or with stuff like dead air or anything like uh, entrusting responsibility of something that like like really major that you would want to do yourself but maybe don't have time to or you maybe don't have the skills Um. to or anything like for me with short films at least i've always had the compulsion to like write direct edit shoot um color grade sound design do everything myself and it's like always a huge undertaking but it's just because i have a lot of fear like handing over this baby that i've worked on so tirelessly. so maybe i like wrote a script and i don't want to hand it over to somebody else to edit it or something like that because i don't like although however talented somebody may be i don't entrust somebody more than i entrust myself have you ever like struggled with that sort of feeling on stuff whether it's soundcloud dead air whatever the case may be oh my god yeah like that's just that's a that's a fear i have just with my my own mental struggles in general is like I, I'm a I'm a person. Anyone who's ever worked with me knows that I'm a person who likes to get things done in an orderly fashion. You know, um, in a, in a way, I, it's not not as though that I can't work with anybody because I I do that for a living. But um, there are certain things that I have a lot of confidence in that I know um, would go the right way if if put in motion. Um, and for me, getting past this idea of if I don't do it, then nobody else will. It's not necessarily that straightforward. It's it's you gotta get. I've had to get myself in a mindset where I'm like, if I communicate well enough, what I need, what I what I feel is what what's the best course of action for for doing something in in the way that I'd like to do it. That's the main goal is communicating it. You know, it's not necessarily about doing it yourself if you can't um, and overworking yourself, which I just do that in general. But this is you know, it's really just about communicating it and. With Dead Air, you know, Jesse and I have calls all the time about, like, here's how we're doing this right now, and here's how we should probably be doing this instead. And and it's not it's not this thing where I'm like, oh, Jesse, like, let me handle it. It's not <laughs> like that. It's it's very much this thing where I'm like, Jesse, here's, and th- this works vice versa, by the way. Jesse does this to me all the time. It's that's just our working relationship. Um, I, I don't want to sound like I'm like, you know, dictator Bill over here, but with the people I work with at SoundCloud. That's that's what I have to do. I've, I, that's like the, what I've had to do since I got uh, picked up by them was in back in 2020. It was like I've I've had to fight tooth and nail for the things that I believe in. There's been times where you know certain things that I like to call my baby, for example, get get put in a different light that I wouldn't like that. But it's not you don't you can't be mad about it. You just have to communicate why this is not the best course of action. Give the receipts, if you will, and then show. <laughs> show how things can be done in a different way in a more successful way um you know there's no sense in pouting there's no sense in being upset about these things or or saying like oh my god i can't work with people uh it's more so about you know saying like here's what we we all can do differently not just what you guys can do differently and and, you know you're never going to work alone you know, you could work as, as independently as you want, but you're never going to work alone. It's reframing it from like, oh, I don't trust these people potentially more than I trust myself. It's more so I should trust myself to communicate what I want better, if that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And then um, on a similar note, like uh, regardless of how much you delegate responsibility to others, um, like you mentioned at the beginning, you've been a person of many hats for quite some time now. So I'm wondering, um, like... For me, I have a lot of I have a lot of difficulty balancing both school and backlight and like a social life and, you know, all those other, you know, like extremities. So I'm wondering, like, what tips or tricks do you have or that have you found like work best for you in balancing um, school and your creative endeavors? Oh, Lordy. Well, I understand you have a pretty rigid, uh, you're pretty, pretty rigid sleep schedule for one. Anyone that knows me knows that I am um, 
very vocal about my, I'm very like apologetic about the fact that I don't have a lot of time to do fun things in life. And um, that I, I mean fun things as in like having like fun social events every single week or, you know, like be even something as simple as being in VC with people. That That's what I mean by fun things, you know, non-work things. The good thing, the, the, the place where I'll start right now is never pick up a bunch of responsibilities that you don't find that you don't have passion in nor find fun because the trick to this and the caveat to this is i everything that i do as busy as i am i i do enjoy from a baseline perspective i i love everything i do the best advice my dad ever told me was you know find a job that uh that you that you really really enjoy because it never it'll never feel like you're working a day in your life well, guess what, Dad? Like, I, I found many jobs <laughs> it, 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 at the same time that I, I can find enjoyment in, you know? So that's step one. Do things that you like and do a lot of things, you know, as much as you can handle. And then once you do pick up those things, yes, sleep. Again, everybody that knows me knows that um, I am an old person. I'm an elder statesman at heart. And uh, I take that with pride because I do go to bed at 8 o'clock every night. And... I'm in bed at eight o'clock, you know, um, and I do wake up at four thirty or five every morning. This is by design. This is not something that I've, you know, I, I, I've, I just, oops, sleep schedule probs. No, this is by design. I, I have, ri you know, very rigorous, rigid structure to my life. It is the reason I get so much stuff done a day. And um, boy, is it a blessing and a curse because at this point, I've been doing this for like since like 2019, um, and I, I could not live any other way. When I visit Ohio, um, my home, my, my dreaded home state, uh, for like holidays or just breaks or whatever, I don't have as great of a time as I should because I have to go back to living like I was 15. I run at like such a high speed per day and I live in a great place to do this. Like I live in Boston, which is not the biggest city, but it, it is a big city, you know, n nonetheless. I don't have any problems doing all this stuff. I don't have any problems waking up at 4.30 or 5. And, you know, like, like I tell people that that's in, everyone's like, what? Like, no, you're, look how you're treating yourself. Like, what time do you go to bed? And I'm like, 8. And they're like, what? You don't have a nightlife and all this stuff. And I still have fun on the weekends, like, mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, I, whatever. But, like... I've had to make a lot of sacrifices, and they're sacrifices that I wholeheartedly accept. So, classes I'm in at school, uh, many graduate students, professors are like, how do you live? How do you function? And honestly, I don't have an answer for them. Um, I, I I just do me, you know? And this is me. This is literally like, I'm not, I'm not forcing myself to do... I am forcing myself to do it, but I'm not like... It's all to achieve something. I'm not just doing this just to do it, you know? Obviously, that'd be, that would be torture. Um, this is all for a reason, and you wouldn't have a bunch of content out and a bunch of things in the world without this schedule in my life. So, like you said, with like a, your classmates and like in college courses being sort of intimidated by that schedule, um, because like it's it's no secret that like the majority of the scene is still in high school. Um, and in my experience, like the increasing frequency of like sophomores, juniors, seniors having like really really promising music careers like laid out for them before they even graduate has kind of disillusion a lot of people on like the prospect of like achieving higher education in like the first place um so i'm wondering as someone who is evidently like very like very well cemented into a very successful college career i'm like what do you think a young artist who's on like the fence about maybe going to college or attending university and like that should be cons should consider before making their decision i think the first thing to consider is how much do you really want to do this because you know i understand that there's different dynamics to things i understand the the parenting you know, there's there's still this like traditional mindset where you're very much like 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 I, my parents are going to be mad at me if I don't go to college or they're forcing me to go to college or all this stuff. And and that's something that is very difficult to get past. But again, I think communication uh, is, is, a, is a way to get around that. Like my vision has always been school. My vision has always been academia, even before music. That's that's what I'm all about. The you know, like top level is is academia and, and music is very, you know, very close. But um you know, that that's like my life for a rising musician in high school that, that has, you know, has cultivated such a huge fan base or has a promising career ahead of them or just are just an amazing talent in general. When, when college comes calling, you, you really have to consider like, how much do I really want to do? Because you do have to make, like, I think we, you know, we just talked about Edgar, for example, you know, 
going to college and and having his own you know he, he immediately starts touring as soon as he goes to college you know it's like when when he told me that i was like oh good luck like you know in the best way possible because it's really the, it, it, all of these artists too and part of this the things i do in my managerial role with like the dead air roster is like making sure that they're okay in school because i know how that is obviously um jesse does too this is the same for high school and college but if you're in college and you're not putting your best foot forward and you're you know you have all that money on the line you have all this you know the the stress all this all this stuff you really got to consider is it worth it there's there's nothing wrong with with taking a break there's nothing wrong with taking a, a leave of absence there's nothing wrong with any of this stuff you know um i think the biggest thing for musicians is just like don't step into something that you're not 100% confident in because i know all these musicians are 100% confident in their music like there's no doubting that you know if you're not and if you're not 100% confident in your music you're probably not going to, I hate to say it like this, and I don't mean this in like a mean way, but you're probably not going to go to the places that you want to go if you're not 100% confident. Be confident in the things that you choose, but especially with the music and college dynamic, because if you take on both of those things, you're going to have to make sacrifices for both of them at the same time. And that could deter the the visions that you have and, and the goals that you have in your life. There, it works both ways. There's no problem with, if you really think college is like the way to go, you know, taking a backseat on music and, and focusing on college, but there's also no problem if you really think that college is not your thing and music is your thing, go for it, you know? If you think you can do it, you should absolutely do it, and you should look into ways to do it. So, um, yeah, don't don't just go into it saying, like, here we go, you know? Like, uh, just be be very confident. Be very tactical, you know? Isn't There's no shame in asking for advice from some people, so. Considering go back, like, uh, a year, I feel like uh, I feel like there were a lot less examples of people who had, who are, like, a lot less examples of, like, considering there were a lot of 17-year-olds who were going off to college, like, as, like, some distant thought, but now there are a lot more examples of people who are in college currently making music. Uh, you're right, there is plenty of examples of people to talk to and ask for advice. And then there, in the past year, there's also been like an increasing push um, for artists to become content creators uh, through platforms like TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, all sorts of stuff like that. So I'm wondering, like, what do you think are some pros and cons of that line between artist and content creator being increasingly blurred? Well, I mean, I think musicians are, you know, they're 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 self marketers by trade. Um, even musicians that are under labels, you know, you're you're for as much as a label can control an artist. Um, would never be dead air, by the way. Um, <laughs> uh, but as much as like other labels would, there's still that element of, of you have to be a person. You know, you have to have a personality. You know, if it's manufactured, you still have to do it. You still have to perform. You know, and that's like a really like not fun way of saying it. But um, you know, regardless, everyone's a content creator. You know, if you understand what your music is all about, and it, go, it does go back to that thing of confidence. You know, if you're confident in 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 the certain directions that you want to take, if you're if you're you know molding your your artist image after somebody else or, or you want to you want to do the things that somebody else does really learn about what went into that because these they're they're even for artists that are like just now on the rise it's very easy to learn about their rise you know um i'm not even just talking about like oh i want to be like like tyler the creator or something i want to have a come up like like him even for an artist like you know like one more like a more recent one like eric for example eric's a good example uh you know, it's very easy to learn about how Eric got to the place that, that he got. And I'll tell you one thing, it, it certainly wasn't through just signing, because Eric is still the same Eric that he was in 2019, you know, uh, just just with an immense platform, and and he's going to be a superstar. We knew he was going to be a superstar back then, we know he's going to be a superstar now. And he's going to be even bigger and bigger and bigger. And and if, you want, if you're like, oh, I want to be like Eric DOA, well, learn about how Eric DOA, Eric used TikTok, Eric obviously benefited off of TikTok. Eric, um, you know, benefited off of getting roasted by Steph on Instagram oh, Live. Oh, God. Yeah, benefited. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> Best video of all time. But don't force anything, you know? If, like, you're, if you're like, I don't, I want to be, like, an artist that didn't really get big off TikTok, for example. Like, you don't have to, you know? I know that there's this increasing pressure to always, like, oh, my God, I have to, I have to have a TikTok presence. I have to have all this stuff. You don't necessarily have to. Um, it's good to have. A, a, a cross media, cross platform presence, because um, you you do want to establish this transmedia presence where you are very much accessible on all platforms and to, in order to cultivate your audience. That being said, no no single platform is arbitrary. There are so many artists that don't even have a Twitter that are huge, you know. And it's not like you know Eric made um, moving like a zombie was like 
TikTok time, you know? He made, there are so many versions of that TikTok that everybody knows. It was just Eric messing around, you know? And it just kind of happened to be a hit. Or even just like with like Jace, you know, blowing up on uh, on TikTok recently. It's not like he went, you know, green tip, five, five, six. You know, he, he wasn't like, that's TikTok right now. It was just like, he made that song and it's, it's fire, you know? And it's like, things just happen, you know? And like, if you can, you know, just really like lean into certain directions that you see your music taking. And again, that... The only way you can do that is by learning about learning about yourself and like what your music is about, like really understanding it. Don't just be making stuff just to make it. And then uh, on a similar note, I feel like a through line um, through a lot of the scenes development has been like the the democratization of the music industry, both with stuff like like technology, with stuff like DistroKid making independent distribution a lot more accessible, um, but also like ease of growth through stuff like the the DigiCore playlist. So I'm wondering like... um, because i mean like the music industry isn't exactly known for being the most flexible or easy to adapt so i'm wondering like are there any other areas of the music industry that you think could stand to benefit from having a similar evolution to give you a very obvious answer i think the like having more independent labels is is you know uh, independent labels with the spirit that not to stroke dead air's ego or anything (laughs) but to have the same kind of spirit that we do because i think we're I think we're really doing a lot of things that are very much against the grain, and that again, that's that's by design. You know, we're 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 very much doing things differently for the sake of trying to make change. Um, and I won't get into like the super deep music industry, music business, crazy terms because I know no one wants to hear that kind of stuff. But let's just say like we're seeing the the other ways that labels take advantage of certain artists and and do very low-key malicious things um and we're doing it differently dead air operates as a democracy in that it's not me and jesse though that own the label it's everybody that does i mean even in like quinn is already our creative director because it's like why wouldn't you make quinn our creative director you know it's like independent labels when they do spring up should operate under a very trusted family structure like what we have cultivated because it makes doing things so much easier when you're operating under a team of your best friends. Like everybody on the dead, everyone on the team from, from the management, Jesse and I, you know, like the CEO vibes to the (laughs) artist, to the designers that we have, Yams, Maya, everybody, like these are our best friends. Everybody's best friends with each other. We've been best friends for the longest time. And, and that, that, that is something that is very much born out of the, this new kind of uprising that internet circles have had in in terms of music like you know we it's very much reflective of the rise of collectives we embody the spirit of like everybody is like offering something i I feel like i've gotten somewhat of a formula down now but back when i just started out i had a lot of difficulty looking into how just music journalism whether it be like submitting written articles or putting out like video pieces and whatnot um worked and then eventually i just got i just decided okay, this is really complicated. I'm just going to do everything myself and just take it as like a very like YouTuber-y approach, which I hadn't really seen done before. But I guess one evolution that I personally think could like uh, the music industry could benefit from is making the ways by which like different articles or different things are published in different places a bit more accessible a bit more readily available a bit more apparent of like the pipeline that you go through because right now it seems like there's like independent blogs and then huge publications and there isn't really much of like a ladder or like or i mean there is a ladder but it's just very difficult to like decipher exactly how it works if that makes sense yeah 100 percent. i mean that was something that i definitely struggled with especially when like i wasn't writing for lyrical because like before i wasn't writing for lyrical i was literally just just doing uvc stuff and and i was doing private suite magazine stuff i was like well geez i'd love to write about like i'd love to write about the scene the community um for like a bigger publication this is like in like 2019 2020 i was just like trying to like figure out how to navigate my way around that and eventually like after you know meticulous pitching throughout 2019 2020 i was eventually able to get quinn um best new artist for pigeons and planes once you get your name out there and you start establishing this rapport with music industry people uh and also just like social rapport everyone like wants to work with you in a lot of ways because you're doing cool stuff things start to like fall into place you know so uh yeah i mean it's exactly what you said though there are extreme gaps that need to be filled but the ladder is being built I will tell you that because I th- I can't think of a better example of this than like Nobels the 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 independent blog by the one and only Mono my BFF that is like the best thing ever because you have 
all sides of, of different communities, different music industry people, and, and different music writers, all looking at this one blog, which is just a, a fantastic blog and a fantastic community on Discord that everybody should join because it's very entertaining on there. Like it'll be in the description, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, absolutely. You know, pitching mono and, and getting your name on in Nobels is like, that's amazing because then then you have the chance to be seen by some of the best writers including mono himself and like and you know other people on the staff like that's a great example of lighter but there should be more things like that there there should be and and that's what we we're trying to build ubc into for a lot for a while um yeah i i'm so glad that nobels is like keeping that spirit alive yeah nobels has been one of the most like fascinating things to see come up in the past couple months i agree though it shouldn't be like the exception of like the one like example of like a really really fascinating like middle ground of like the ladder basically it should be like one of many it's it seems like there has been like kind of endless debate over like the different terms and the different labels used to describe music in the scene pretty much ever since its inception so I'm wondering, like, what do you think people generally get right or wrong about labeling certain types of music, such as, you know, hyperpop, digicore, dariacore, or anything else? Well, it's hard to name anything they get right. The thing I, I just, it just bears repeating because it, it does not seem to get through people's heads. And it's like, I'm not going to blame anybody for not understanding this because I, I get it. You know, I get how, how this is like a weird thing, how there's like, oh, it's a, it's a community that has like a kind of a specific sound, but not really like, mm -hmm. uh, like why can't it be a genre? And it's like, it's not a genre. It's, it's not like, di like Digicore is not hyperpop, you know, like all this stuff you can, you can attach whatever labels you want. You can manufacture this stuff. In the end, what my idea for this playlist was my idea for the digicore playlist was literally a place where i can make sure this ever-growing scene this ever-growing community of of inspirational artists have a home because at the time especially at the time late 2020 like when i when i when i first was like was building it ever i mean that was like peak i hate the hyperpop playlist era like it still exists today but like the dark days after ag cook took it over like that's like what we're, that's like the period we're talking about you know i'm not going to speak on now but back then they certainly weren't getting things right soundcloud or i'm sorry not soundcloud lol uh, uh spotify but i mean to be honest with you like like the 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 non-existence of a quote-unquote digicore play of a community playlist let's just say that soundcloud didn't have that and and that was a misstep on their part so both of them like spotify having this opportunity and fumbling the bag if you will uh that was the biggest misstep but soundcloud not even having one was also a misstep that that's the purpose of behind all of this you know is is to really express the point that look call it what you want if you want to say that digicore that the artists within the digicore playlist are digicore nothing's gonna stop nothing's ever gonna end that as much as i would love that to not be the case i think it's very much reflective and i don't think i say this enough in the web tempo playlist that I also curate, because that it, it, it follows the exact same basis as Digicore, where this community of mostly internet-based dance artists never had their own place um, all to themselves on SoundCloud as a platform. None of the artists in the web tempo playlist are web tempo. It's not a genre. Digicore is not a genre. It's it's a tag to encompass many different things in one place. Mm -hmm. You need a tag. Like, as much as I would love to call every playlist, like, pee-pee-poo-poo, -poo, you know? We can't do that. It's not allowed. Digicore might as well be called pee-pee-poo-poo. -poo. I mean, it means nothing. It, it means, it mean, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a playlist. It meant a lot more when Digicore was this term being thrown around because of, of, of Lonely and Teardrop Digital legends. When nothing would be the same without without them. It, it meant a lot more back then because it was almost like the satirical play on on hyperpop being this like weird manufactured term. It's like, oh, here's a suffix, here's a prefix, we put them together, digicore, you know? I think web tempo illustrates that things don't have to be called genres to be playlists. I mean, at least people understand that this is a community. That that's big. That's that's huge because that's that's the point I'm trying to convey more than anything else. That this is a community. Now, honestly, it's even bigger than a community. It's many communities in one place, which is really cool. Like I take so much inspiration from from Niz's community, for example. Watching a Niz stream, I'm like, oh my god, I know what I'm putting in the playlist. Like you know, it's just um, every time I'm on Niz's stream or every time I'm I'm I I have the time to like put it on while I'm doing work, for example, or something. I'm like. 
this is the future of the platform all, all happening in one place, you know? So, and that's one community, you know, they might not even interact with like the other side. Imagine like a giant flower Venn diagram. And yeah, there are some parts that do not connect at either point, but there's always like a little bit of overlap that loops back around somewhere. A hundred percent. You you said it perfectly. Like that's, that's exactly what it is. It's not a genre. It's not. Uh... Next, I wasn't going to let myself leave this call without an answer to this question. What is Bill Core? Well then. <laughs> I hope we have an hour because uh, we have another. <laughs> billcore as a term is a joke. I would never call my aesthetic like purposely billcore, for example. You know, because like right. uh, what we just talked about with digicore, like it's like it's all funny, haha stuff. You know, same thing goes for like I don't know the Days God vibe. You know, <laughs> drum set core, the Pink Panthers aesthetic. You know, uh, the Y two K vibe. All of these things are the Days God vibe. You know, recently I've, I finally come up with a name for for my aesthetic, um, in which I will explain. But the name and your your editor has to like do like a like a sparkle wipe thing. Gotcha. Um, when okay. I, when I do this, so the 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 name for it is domestic corporate. Okay. All right. Rolls off the tongue a little bit less smoothly than than Bill Corp, but I get it. It doesn't matter. You have to you have to understand it. So. Domestic corporate. What what is that all about? I'm I'm very much inspired by this uh the, this aspect of the of the 80s um in terms of like society at large American society at large uh that was very much this thing of oh we're very ignorant to all of the success that's going on right now you know in terms of like capitalism and trickle down economics making a lot of people very happy because they had a lot of money right um and with that a lot of new technology was happening at a uh towards the end of the 80s and there was this very like optimistic. Um, mindset that was even going into the 90s about like oh here's like um, internet optimism like the internet's going to change the world technology's going to change the world all this stuff it's very naive nature and we all uh, as as the 90s kind of concluded and as we went into the 2000s that a lot of that optimism turned to dread the aspects of capitalism being really um like revealing themselves in the fall of retail and in a lot of different things so basically i'm very much inspired by like corporate culture it kind of goes back to like my whole workload like i work all day you know i'm at my desk a lot I'm very much inspired by this, like, naive nature of, like, oh, just another day of work, you know? Um, like, I, I wake up, have my coffee, you know, all this stuff. I'm drinking a, a nice glass right now, you know? That kind of stuff. Um, so very much this, like, homey atmosphere, right? This very, like, domestic atmosphere. It's, like, family vibes. So not to get too in my head of myself, because I know I've already, like, convoluted this way too much. I don't want people to think I'm a capitalist, though, because I'm not. I hate capitalism. But I'm very, I, I love the aesthetic. But it's vibes. It is literal vibes, and you understand this. Yeah. I take a lot of inspiration from, like, Deco Lux uh, interior design and, like, Festival Marketplace and stuff. I'm very inspired by malls, because that's I grew up in the dead mall capital of the world, uh, Northeast Ohio. All of that is to say I'm very much inspired by this, like, homey family uh, corporate culture, but taking, um, taking it in a different light and almost, like, not behaving under the structure of capitalism but celebrating what it represents in terms of looks in terms of attitude all that stuff so domestic corporate not bill core but i will continue to call it bill core because it's funny that's a really fascinating and in-depth response to something i just saw commented under a bunch of pictures of like a sega genesis and fred durst so i gotta say that was it's the but the thing is it's like both those things are very much like bill core because and i can explain well okay fred durst really isn't I was just Fredders for Halloween because I was like, he's really out here signing Dreamcast, and that's just hilarious to me. But you know, it's just one of those days where you don't want to wake up. Everything's, I'm not going to sing this song. <laughs> the Sega Genesis, which I have one right there, um, connected to the Sega CD, which is absolutely Bill Core, 100%. And I have like a, you know, a Sega Genesis poster right there, Sega Genesis games on the wall, Daytona USA, Sega Saturn, all that fun stuff. Um, Sega, I'm a huge Sega person. They, they really leaned into this uh, naive corporate life, this very like dreamy, like, um, another another aesthetic that I'm really inspired by is like Silicon Dreams. So like um, early internet 3D animation um, and this again like internet optimism is like what I'm all about. And and Sega really leaned into that like new tech attitude about things, where it was like everything was very abstract and 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 weird and absurd for the sake of being absurd. Like for everybody out there that wants to know why I use so many like ellipses and stuff and and talk and and say things in like or my captions or whatever. If you look at like the Japanese um, uh, box art for uh, for Sonic games and Sonic CD, all had these like very like weird um, uh, sayings on the cover in English, and you know that whole like era of just very abstract things for the sake of being abstract and like this corporate culture vibe. 
what I'm all about, you know? So, uh, I'm putting together on my website a very, a, a very large primer on, um, in, in database on, on domestic corporate. So, um, stay tuned. I won't include it, uh, but I did write down a list of like things that I was just gonna like, just like rapid fire, just be like, is this Bill Core or not? I just wrote down- We a- can do it. No, we can do that. I'm really? Done. Okay. All right. Well, I don't no, know. Of course. The first one that I have is of course the Sega Genesis. We've already established that. But then I have Jack Swing. Oh my God, of course. That's, uh, it's absolutely Bill Core. Yeah, no, you, you're right. You're, you hit it right on the nail. Like, just, I mean, I was listening to a lot of Boys to Men growing up. I was listening to a lot of um, Mariah Carey, just a lot of artists from that like uh, TLC early TLC um Pebbles all of these people that are you know New Jack Swing you know purveyors uh, leaned into that almost like naive sense of optimism that that's what a lot of New Jack Swing has what a lot of it carries to me and I think it makes sense why it's it's frequently dubbed you know mall music from from that period because because that's what exactly what it was and it was having like this you know these great times um, in the face of so much danger that was to come. So that's very fascinating to me. Awesome. And then I have uh, Phalanx from Shadow of the Colossus. See, that's a tough one because... Hmm, let me think about that really quick. Shadow of the Colossus as a game isn't Billcore. I love Shadow of the Colossus. Not Billcore necessarily. Phalanx as a Colossus. No. I think it's a very good boss fight, though. I And, and, and I think it's, a, it's probably one of the best boss fights in... Uh, in Shadow of the Colossus, but no, not necessarily Billcore though. Okay, and then I have Donkey Kong Country. Absolutely, hundred um, percent. More so the uh, like I said, the the aspect of Silicon Dreams playing playing a role in this. Donkey Kong Country was one of the first uh, games to really get three D. I forget exactly what the t- it was almost like. Uh, it's like sprite work. I watch way too much Scott the Waz not to know what this is. <laughs> um, and I was obviously I was raised on like doing meticulous research on just this game alone, let alone uh, or the series alone, let alone um, all games growing up. It was it was, you know, the 3D animation that was put into a 2D realm. But uh, of course, the music as well. It, it's just it's phenomenal. You know, David Wise is an, is an icon. I, I have Donkey Kong Country 2. You can't see it in the picture, but it's I have the cart of uh, the uh, box on uh, on my wall. Um, so it is very much uh, a part of my life. But um, yes, 100% very much Bill Core. Gotcha. And then how about, this might be a little bit too late, but how about the iPod Nano? I love the iPod Nano. Um, I, think, I think anything Apple is very much me. I love when brands have this very much, uh, it's very obvious their manufactured sense of optimism about things. And, and you know, I, I am such an Apple person. Like I'm such, I'm, I literally, like I can't function without Apple products. I... I'm talking to you on a Mac right now with a 2003 cinema display as my secondary monitor, iPad right here, AirPods in my ears, um, I don't have the watch on right now, but I do have one, um, earbuds just because, uh, what else we got? Because vibes. iPhone, Billcore vibes. Apple has this very awesome way of, of marketing that I, that I really love, where it's very simplistic and very uh, chipper, um, and, and, and it's like, you know... If you have an Apple product, like you're really living life, like, and it's not Apple objectively is not a good company. Like it, like screws over so many people, but the aesthetics and the the productivity and everything about it, I just I adore, you know. So, with that being said, I think all iPods are Billcore by trade. I included it because correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't the um the old like iTunes iPod commercials that was just the silhouette with like the colorful earbuds. Wasn't that like your profile picture for quite some time? That was my profile picture. Yes. Um, that was my profile picture, probably like early 2021. You know, you just see people having fun with an iPod and you have no other thought. It's like no thoughts had empty other than I want an iPod because this is just wonderful. Like what I'm seeing on the screen is just so beautiful. Um, and I don't have to think about the, the, I don't have to think about the reasons why Apple like screws over their employees or has like ruined many people's lives or mm-hmm. I, I don't have to think about that when I'm literally just enjoying this commercial and enjoying my iPod with my, uh, my earbuds in. Next I have uh, Maining Lucario and Smash. Wait, did you know I was a Lucario man? Yeah, of course I do. Yeah, you're Bill. You're Bill. We have to know. Okay, Nardwar. Okay, yeah. whatever. <laughs> we had to have one moment like that in the interview somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> well, because I manage Delete Seek, there's a there's a through line here because you know uh, uh, Jane uses the um, Gen Four sound font on Frailty uh, many times. Lucario is definitely one of the best Gen Four Pokemon. Mm. I will say I was raised on Gen Three. I, Gen 4 is like my second favorite. I love Gen 4. Gen 4 soundtrack, everyone loves it. 
It's a little overrated for me, I'm not gonna lie. Personally, I'm much more a uh, Gen 3 trumpet person. And and it's not just about the trumpets. Stop saying it's just the trumpets in that game. The bass lines are insane. Listen to the Elite Four theme, insane bass line. Listen to the, like, the, the opening um, lick uh, to the Team Magma Team Aqua boss. The Team Magma Team Aqua hideout theme, insane bass line. It's not just about the trumpets, people. Like, come on. Anyways. Maining Lucario and Smash. Listen, it's not Billcore, but it is something that I do. And then finally, I have Youngblood Fantasy 91. Yes, of course. Like, early YouTube, like, commentary, like, oh my god. Oh man, Youngblood Fantasy 91 and Youngblood Fantasy 92. 92, right. Ugh, Msqual 01. Um,. What other? I'm trying to think of other commentary YouTubers. You know, people have their people have their Leafy is here, and they have their Pyrocynical, All these people you know, that came after, and like I was, you know, like I watched them when I was like 15. And I was, you know, like conscious enough to realize that they were like bad people. But like when I was like, man, I don't know what Youngblood Fantasy 91's up to nowadays. But please just like know that you are you are very formative in my life all of those commentary youtubers from like uh early 2010s youtube you will never be forgotten i know you are the unsung heroes of that platform um the google plus days it takes me back i'm so glad you just said that because oh my god well you're bill so we have to know but we have to know where's my vinyl i, I need like the gifts <laughs> come on at the risk of getting in tr getting you in trouble with john soundcloud for playing favorites um if you could pick a handful of artists to put our listeners onto right now who would you pick People, Danny Kyoko. Mm. What are we doing? What are we doing right now? Why aren't you listening to Danny Kyoko? I'm just wondering because it's 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 absurd that Danny has has done so much yet gets so little and and not just done so much in the, in the way of music. The best SoundCloud account to follow is Danny Kyoko, not just because of the music. That's like that's like seventy five percent of it, but twenty the other twenty five percent is the fact that Danny Kyoko reposts everything. And when I say everything. I mean everything. Okay, but just in terms of music, like it's you know, it deserves so much more respect. Xavier's so based. Mmm. What do you you know, these are crisp dubs we're talking about right now. Hazel Pop. Shout out Niz Stream. Um, I've been listening to a lot of Hazel Pop recently. Certainly, uh Swami Sound, if we're talking like dance, uh Swami is the is is absolutely the best. I, I don't think Lee gets enough of respect, by the way, if we're going back to like, you know, Digicore stuff. Um, I really don't think, you know, Lee is, 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 is unbelievable. DVI, my, I, like, I, I love her so much as a person and both just in the music, like, peak Billcore music, if we were to want to talk about that, DVI. And I don't know if you guys ever heard of uh, this little artist um, named Elite Zeke, no, I'm just kidding. If we were, if I were to break down, like, a bracket of, like, the people that have been mentioned the most in interviews, I think Elite Zeke has made it, like, number one most amount of times mentioned on this specific question. Well, I kind of had to, I mean, it's, you know, it's just like, I, if you're not listening to uh, Jane, I don't know what you're really doing with your life. And, and, and what's coming, by the way, I'm just gonna, because I have the liberty to say this, what is coming it's going to blow everyone's minds, what we're working on right now, so stay tuned. On a similar note, uh, what do you think are some of your favorite uh, journalistic publications or just content creators, anything like that, that operate in the scene right now? Cooley Fooley is, is doing amazing uh, photography work for um, people like Gum and uh, Days and, and Swami Sound. Best photographer I've ever seen in my life. Uh, Made in the URL is like an amazing podcast. Uh, Days was just on it, for example. She got a shout out Goop House. Are you kidding me? Like, of course. Shireen, yes. my love, my BFF. I, I owe so much to people like Niz and Shireen because it's like they're literally cultivating the next generation. And it makes my job a lot easier because I don't have to, you know, be, be scouring SoundCloud all willy nilly for. I mean, I do that just anyway. But like, I don't have to just rely on that because if I, I'm like, damn, like, I really want to listen to someone new today, right? I just go to one of their communities. So yeah, like both of them, you know, 100%. Uh, the Backlight Podcast, you know, you. you know, I don't know if you ever heard of it. One that I wanted to add there is a uh, user, the collective just. Oh yeah, they're crazy. Yeah. Like I always like knew that user had a really important place, but then I like sort of unintentionally came to the conclusion of like why user is so important when I was talking to a friend the other day. She's always wanted to get into music, but she's never really had like a route to take. And the main thing that's prevented her from getting into music is like, oh, well, I know I'm not going to be the best at it at first. And like the fear of putting something out onto the Internet that people are going to see and have my name attached to it. And everybody's going to know it's me. And everybody's going to make fun of me. And like, I'll, you know, 
she's like never really like wanted to put anything out like that because of that reason. And then I'm just like, well, there's user. It's a SoundCloud page that's completely anonymous and you have guaranteed people listening to your stuff. And who knows? You might like end up meeting some really awesome people through there. So that's an awesome one that I wanted to give a shout out to. And then uh, although you've interviewed everyone from Umru to Mario Judah, um, I can imagine there's still plenty of people you want to sit down with. So I'm wondering uh, if you could spend a night chatting over chatting about music with any artist dead or alive, who would it be? Well, my dream interview is, is my idol, James Ferraro. Um, you know, all of these all of these things that I've been saying about like the the aesthetic, the billcore thing, you know, all that. It sounds crazy coming out of my mouth. It sounds crazy to everybody else. There's one person on this planet that would understand it, and it's James Ferraro. So, if somehow he sees this, please be my friend. Like I love you. Like I literally like. There's nobody else I look up to more than than James Ferraro on this on this earth. Like has molded everything that I do as a person. Other people, Daniel Lopatin is very, very close there. Uh, one on Tricks Point Never. Whoever runs Waterfront Dining, the uh, the Vaporwave artist, um, again, molded everything I do as a person. Uh, like, I, I don't know who's behind that. You are one of the most important pers- people in my life. So, um, Waterfront Dining. I'd love to talk to Kanye, just to see what's up, you know? How he's doing. Yeah, not to, like, write, do anything about it. I wouldn't even, like, it wouldn't be a SoundCloud thing. It wouldn't be, like, a, a, an article. I just want to just, you know, just check in. I kind of just met Drain Gang, or else they'd probably be on there. I have my uh, VIP pass from, <laughs> from the, the concert the other day. Um, but even then, the venue wasn't letting us go back in, into the green room or anything, which is fine, like, you know, when they were coming out after the show, and I was like, I promote music on SoundCloud sometimes. Like, I love you all. Thank you. And then they all said thank you, and I was like, <laughs> I literally couldn't ask for anything else. That being said, I, you know, you know, Lean's not, um, Drain Gang, but Young Lean, having a conversation with, with him would be, would be wonderful. He's, you know, up there with, like, the most formative people of my life. Todd in the Shadows, biggest inspiration as far as, like, talking about music in my life. Best music, best pop music reviewer on planet Earth. I mean, just so, again, so formative in my life. I've been watching him since literally I was nine years old in 2009. Like, Cybershell, if we're talking on Sonic. Best uh, Sonic YouTuber. Um, I'd love to have a conversation with Cybershell because he is a great person. Oh, Scott the Waz, of course. Um, just the best person on planet Earth. Uh, oh, fellow Ohio native, Northeast Ohio native. Yadier Molina from the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, would love to have a conversation with him. He doesn't really speak English that well, but um, he is very important in my life as a Cardinals fan. Yeah, that's, that's probably about it. Finally, is anybody else you want to shout out at the very end here? First and foremost, I always have to like shout out my absolute best friend, Maya. Literally, my therapist, my personal <laughs> everything, genuinely like the most important person in my life. I love them so much. Um, I would not be here without them. I would not be the same person without them. Yes, they deserve everything. And everyone, anyone who knows Maya knows how wonderful they are. Second person, Burn, because I wouldn't know Maya without Burn. I wouldn't, Dead Air wouldn't be a thing without Burn by proxy of Burn, you know, bringing jesse on to uh ubc you know burns a very if you know you know person sometimes um but you know go buy their clothes royal brigade co best clothes everyone in this community owes everything to burn i owe everything to burn burn is one of those figures like dalton for example that none of the stuff would be happening without them and they deserve so much so those two dalton just dalton too of course we can't can't leave this call without shouting out the one and only i mean Jesse, of course, because we're doing such amazing things together, but it's only because we love each other a lot. For as, if, as hard as it is running a label and running, running, you know, being busy with such amazing artists, but very busy artists and, and you know, always doing stuff, I don't think that I'd want to do with anybody else but, but Jesse. And I wouldn't want to do Dead Air without any, you know, without the roster that we have right now. And I wouldn't, that's why, that's why someone like Maya is even on the roster as our fashion person, because again, it's like a family, you know? I keep those who I care about very close to me, and I want to make sure that they always get the respect that they deserve. So those three are most important people in my life, no doubt. But all of my friends who say nice things to me and, and all of you out there, like, thank you for keeping me sane, because I would... This is a... I do a lot of things that the average person would probably not want to do, and I would not be here without the constant motivation of, of everyone out there so thank you so much for that awesome okay all right i think that's gonna wrap it up for you thank you so much for me today thank you so much noah awesome okay now we do the hyperpop daily interview yeah okay oh my god little do you know i'm, I'm actually hyperpop daily it's crazy